Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I am Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are excited to bring you our mini episode today where Nicole and I are going to talk about the statewide races. And we're going to try our best to explain what these people actually do. Because as we've learned in this election series, everyone's vote really does count when it comes to statewide offices. So we want to help give you some information so you are informed when you're deciding which candidate is for you. And I'm not going to lie, we did our research and even we had a hard time really wrapping our heads around what these folks do. So we're going to provide links to the, re- the resources we use and also the um, campaign websites for the candidates so you can decide yourself. We'll share a little bit of that in the show as well. Um, but we're just going to jump right in and hopefully give you some tools in your tool belt for when you go to the ballot this time around. So let's start with the top of the ticket. Nicole, tell us all about the governor. (laughs) What do they do? (laughs) The governor. Okay. Um, (laughs) Let's see. I am going to rely on the research, right? Uh, Definitely going to do a little reading. I'm hoping to make it a little more interesting than just reading (laughs) a list, but I will have to start there. Um, As probably most people are aware of that are listening. Our current governor is Greg Abbott, a Republican. And sorry, I'm trying to find the right tab. Um, Okay. (laughs) So he is responsible for signing or vetoing bills that are passed by the legislature, serves as commander in chief of the state's military forces. He convenes special sessions of the legislature for specific purposes that he gets to name. Or he, maybe... We, we have had you're right. ladies, but yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Let me be more inclusive here. <laughs> yes. The governor, male or female, <laughs> does these things. Um, he or she uh, delivers a report on the condition of the state to the legislature at the beginning of each regular session. They estimate the amounts of money required to be raised by taxation, taxation account for public monies received and paid out, and then recommend a budget. They grant reprieves and commutations of punishment and pardons uh, upon the recommendation of the Board of Pardons and Paroles. They can revoke unconditional, or excuse me, they can revoke conditional pardons. They, again, declare special elections. Oh, no, excuse me. This is, I was thinking of special (laughs) sessions. This is different. They declare special elections to fill vacancies in certain elected offices. And of course, they appoint lots and lots of positions in various agencies. Um, Yeah, I feel like that's something... uh my eyes have been opened up to, especially in our education series. We were talking a lot about the education commissioner, how the governor appoints that person. And they lead these huge government agencies. So you really want to pick a governor who is going to put in people that also align with your values. And I'll just leave that there. (laughs) Um, Well, and so 
what I have pulled up next is the list of appointed positions that the governor is in charge of appointing. It is so huge. I would not even begin (laughs) to try to read that off. I would not put anyone through that, but there will be a link in the episode description to that list. But I will say like kind of the headlines of the different positions, they appoint a lot of people in economic development, um, in the financial realm, in healthcare, in higher education, in human services, in the humanities, in the legal realm, in natural resources, in public education, oh my gosh, public safety, regulatory industry, uh, regulatory in the professional industry. I mean, it state oversight, it goes on transportation. I thought I was getting to the bottom or I, I, I would have <laughs> stopped sooner, but I mean, you get the point. And, and then listed under all of those headlines I just gave you is, you know, a list that's really long of the different positions that the governor is in charge of appointing. So yes, there is a lot of power in that office. They are the head of the executive branch for folks who um, remember their government classes and the three branches of government. (laughs) They're like the little mini president of Texas. Exactly. Which if you also remember, the executive branch is in charge of enforcing the laws. Um, And then I also wanted to share the governor's salary. Oh, that's... Is yeah, because well, and there's something coming up that I think people will find interesting. But the governor's salary is a hundred fifty-three thousand seven hundred fifty dollars per year, which is pretty sizable. Yeah, that's a lot more than the other uh government offices we've talked about in this podcast, like State Board of Education and School Board Trustees and State House Representatives. They make nothing close to that. Oh, Claire, it's going to be interesting once we start talking about <laughs> salaries. I, that was something I found super fascinating. Um, and by the way, another thing that we will include in our episode description is that the Texas Tribune has a spot on their website where you can look up anyone's salary that is in the government of the state of Texas. And so it's super fascinating. Um And so, of course, like I said, our incumbent governor is Greg Abbott, and he is going up against Beto O'Rourke. And it's, (laughs) need we say more? I don't know. I feel like there's, yeah. who who doesn't know that? Yeah, big names right now. I mean, as people know, Beto ran for president, well, he ran for Senate, then president, now governor. So he's he really has huge name ID. And Governor Abbott's been in that position for what, eight years, I believe? Eight years. And he was previously attorney general. So he has a history, right? Yeah. 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 Served under Rick Perry. He has that uh, pedigree of, you know, big names in the Republican Party in Texas. Yeah. Awesome. Well, should we move on to the next statewide office? Let's do it. Okay. So we're going to talk about the attorney general. So I will read a little bit from my notes. The attorney general is a top lawyer in Texas, representing the state in mostly civil litigation. Uh, Our current attorney general is Ken Paxton, and he's seeking his third term. So like Governor Abbott, he's been there eight years, and previously he was a member of the Texas Senate. So he's been around the block. Some other things that the attorney general does is they 
investigate crimes of human trafficking, internet crimes against children, election fraud, assisting local law enforcement in prosecution and appeals, investigating Medicaid fraud, apprehending fugitives, and providing support to victims of violent crime and administering victim assistance programs. So they investigate a lot of things and they look into fraud. They also help protect protect Texans by enforcing consumer protection and antitrust laws. I thought that was interesting. Mm. I haven't really heard much about that in the news. Uh, maybe that's happening. Maybe that's not. I, I'm just not aware of it, but good to know. So I guess if you have like a product issue, you go to their office, maybe. Eh. Um, (laughs) so basically they defend the law and the constitution. Um, their client is the state of Texas. They, yeah, they have a lot on their plate. And right now we have, let's see, how many people? Three people are running for this position. Ken Paxson's running again. He's a Republican. Rochelle Garza, she's a Democrat in their race. And Mark Ash, he is a libertarian, I believe. Um, so... It was interesting looking at their websites for Ken Paxton and Rochelle Garza. I'm just going to talk about them because I'm sorry, Mark. I don't think it's going to be you. And this is considered the closest statewide race right now uh, from polling people. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what Ken Paxton shares. He says, our most cherished freedom is under attack. I'm proud to join 14 attorneys general standing up for religious liberty. And he also says Planned Parenthood shouldn't receive a penny from taxpayers. Texans don't support their immoral, grotesque practices. So he's definitely cares about religious liberty and defunding Planned Parenthood. Um, It's interesting because I'm like, that's what the attorney general does? (laughs) I don't know. That seems more like a legislative stance to me. Nonetheless, this is what he leads with, so. To make y'all aware that's what he cares about and then we have Rochelle Garza and she says our state is under attack by politicians who have passed some of the most restrictive laws in the country and sided with special entrance over Texans it's time for Texans to take a stand I'm running for attorney general to be a voice for hardworking Texas families and protect their interests and their civil rights in court As attorney general, I will be the public defender for all Texans and will hold those in power accountable to the citizens of this great state. So she's very much positioning herself as the attorney general for the people. So I definitely encourage y'all to go look at their websites. They have really good information and give you a better glimpse into who they are and what they care about and the work that they would prioritize as attorney general because it seems so broad and they have so many resources so they really get to pick and choose what they what they spend their office's efforts on mm-hmm. ken paxton is a pr- like loud and proud trump supporter i saw an interview where he was bragging that he sued obama 27 times he's sued biden like 25 times or they're, they're currently involved in 25 lawsuits so very partisan he comes across very partisan which is interesting because to me like attorney general sounds like i don't know like a more nonpartisan position like i'm the i'm the lawyer for the state so i'm going to follow the law <laughs> i don't know i'm just a little confused by by his uh, messaging because it seems like this is something that would be above that messiness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
but that's not the um, that's not the way he speaks about his position. So check yeah. them out. Yeah. Any thoughts, Nicole? No, I mean I I follow what you're saying. That that feels like a very specific partisan agenda rather than the agenda of the people of Texas. Um, it's clearly it's clearly a biased agenda. I'm yeah, lean on into saying that. And there's a, a lot of controversy with um, Ken, a lot of controversy scandals. Um, he, there was seven folks in his office, whistleblowers, who said that Paxson used his office to benefit a donor and investigate the donor's perceived enemies. We don't know if this is factual or not, but people came forward with this information. He was also indicted on charges of securities fraud in July of 2015. And Rochelle Garza talks about this a lot. She'll say, like, there is a crime. There, there's never been a crime that Ken Paxson didn't want to commit. So he has, like, kind of a messy history with the law. Um, I mean, I don't really feel great about that. But <laughs> some people might be cool with it, <laughs> just to make y'all aware. This is very much in the news. And that's probably why this is one of the closer races. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe we just leave that right there, right? <laughs> so much to say. Yeah. Do your, um, do your homework, folks. Yes, yes, yes. Know who you're voting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just make sure they're aligned with what you, what you believe in. Yes. Um, are we moving on to Lieutenant Governor? Let's talk about the Lieutenant Governor. Okay, so our current Lieutenant Governor is Republican Dan Patrick. Um, he was elected in 2014. He beat the three-term incumbent David Dewhurst. And he had, similar to Kim Paxton, previously served in the Texas State Senate um, outside of Houston. Um, Let's see. Interestingly, right, as we were talking about salaries, I found this really interesting. The lieutenant governor makes $7,200 a year. (laughs) Whoa. Wait. That's interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Same. I was like, how, like two zero seventy two hundred. Yeah, seven thousand two hundred dollars. <laughs> Wild, right? Yeah. Because listen to this. Here's what's also fascinating. His chief of staff. I looked it up. Makes. Are you ready for this? One hundred seventy thousand dollars a year, which is more than the governor, and is also more than the attorney general. Okay. We're going to have to investigate this because I, when I was running for office, I heard that staffers, and this might be different for lieutenant governor, but like um, staff, representative staffers make like a base amount, but candidates or elected officials can fundraise extra so that they make a better salary. So I wonder if that 170 is like from the state of Texas or if it's like, I don't know, 60,000 and then it's supplemented by donors. I am really curious about that. Anyway, the point is they know that they have to pay these people more to get really good talent. And then I'm just like, why don't they just pay them the higher rate if that's what we need to have good people working behind the scenes? I didn't like learning that piece of information um, because like the capital is in Austin. Austin's expensive to live in. Let's pay these people enough money so that they can do their jobs without it having to be supplemented by donors. Mm-hmm. But Claire, what you're talking about is a more inclusive form of government <laughs> that am. means more people have access, right? And so yes. there we go. There's the there's where the tension comes. Yeah, and it's not as exclusive, right? It doesn't 
then it's more available to yeah. more places. So we have a little problem. Yeah. Well, we're going to put a pin in that and investigate it. So yeah. Tuned. But I'm really, I'm really <laughs> curious. Um, Probably most people are aware that Dan Patrick is up against Mike Collier, who is running on the Democratic side. And okay, so here's what's interesting. Um, there, They also, the lieutenant governor has a long list of appointments, um, a list that, you know, I, I won't bother to read. Um, but what I will say is that where their power comes, this is really fascinating to me, is that they appoint all of the committee chairs of the committee in the Senate. So they determine where the bills are going to be sent, to what committees, the timing of those. Also, um, every bill has to come through a Senate committee before it gets a final vote. Um, And so what I learned is that getting a bill passed uh, by the Senate committee is tough, but also it might not even ever get out of committee. And then... If it does make it to the floor, then they decide when it comes up for a vote and when to recognize a senator for any floor action. So if you think about the role of, you know, actually passing legislation and then the power that resides in the office of the lieutenant governor, boom, there you go. Like the governor obviously can, you know, decide what his agenda is and what is important to him. And clearly that is a part of the role of the governor, but it's the lieutenant governor who really makes sure what happens and what is prioritized and what actually makes it to the floor and what gets right. out of committee and all of that stuff. So it is an incredibly powerful position that makes very little money. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like they're the gatekeeper of the Capitol. Like they 100%. decide what comes out of there. And another committee that I heard is really powerful is the calendars committee. Kind of like you were talking about, they decide the calendar and where things fit, like when bills come up and get discussed. So they can kill bills by putting them in a certain place on the calendar because you won't have enough time to debate it and thoroughly vet it. So it's another interesting mechanism to get your priorities pushed forward or to prevent things from happening. Like what? So much strategy, right? Let's, yes, yes, yes. So that is what I learned about the lieutenant governor. All right. Well, check out their websites because this is a yes. very important position, as Nicole is telling us. Okay, so we'll move on to the Agricultural Commissioner, and the Agricultural Department supports farmers and administers a school lunch program. Hmm. Is that a kind of funny how those two go together? Um, our current oh. one, <laughs> yeah, they, um, they give grants to finance and help farmers. They solve issues related to natural disasters. They certify organic products. Didn't know that. Um, and I, th- wait, I think they also have some say, around, well, some influence when it comes to the legalization of cannabis. Um, the current agricultural commissioner is Sid Miller, and he was in favor of legalizing medical cannabis. I think right now in Texas, you are allowed to purchase cannabis medically for seizure for seizures, seizures to um, treat that, but it's very limited, like the scope of uh, being allowed to like legally purchase cannabis. So he, even he was saying like, oh, we should 
open this up a little bit more for more medical issues. Um, however, his opponent, Susan Hayes, I'm pretty sure she's in favor of legalizing cannabis, period. So I would definitely investigate both of them. Um, something I read recently in the news with the Uvalde shootings is that Miller wants to hire armed guards for school cafeteria workers. As I mentioned, they administer the school lunch program, and he said that he cares a lot about ensuring that they are protected and that they're safe. So his solution was to hire armed security. I okay. guess we do that from his budget. I'm not really sure how. Um, uh, but I'm that, sorry, but is this... Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I was about to ask you probably the obvious question. Is this a problem that I was not aware of? Well, I guess his thought was um, with so many mass shootings happening in Texas, it's my responsibility to make sure these workers are protected. And my solution is I'm going to bring in armed guards to protect the cafeteria workers. It's, mm -hmm. It seems to tack on to this narrative of what we really need to solve crime in schools is more police officers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sort of falls in line with that Republican thinking. So... An interest. I don't. I don't know how this would happen, but that's what he talked about in the news not that long ago. Um, again, some of the objectives are to promote production of agricultural, consumer protection, economic development, and healthy living. So they care a lot about the food that we consume. Um, I want to see if there's anything else I wanted to share with y'all about these two offices. Uh, we have Sid Miller, as I mentioned, running, and Susan Hayes is the Democrat running in this race. She said, Susan Hayes says, I'm running for agri agricultural commissioner because corruption is bad for business. No one trusts the incumbent to do what's right for Texas. Finding out what the AG does, why the incumbent similar needs to go, who I am and where I'm from. Eh, sorry. <laughs> that she just like lists all this stuff on, on her website. So we will link to that. And then Sid Miller, um, he doesn't really say anything like too, too specific in his uh, main page of his website, but he did previously serve as a house representative in the in the texas house so again we're, we're seeing that pattern of folks start starting out in the house or the senate and then moving up to these statewide positions and a part of that too is because you have to raise a ton of money to run in statewide elections like millions of dollars right yeah interesting yep so yeah that's the Agricultural Commission. That's what they do. <laughs> okay. All right. Shall I move on to the Land Commissioner? Yeah. Okay. So the Land Commissioner, um, that race right now, well, I should say, the person in the position right now is George P. Bush, um, who lost his bid to... Oh, sorry. I made a note in here that... Is confusing me right now. Let me <laughs> let me back it up a little <laughs> bit. George P. Bush wanted to be the attorney general. And nice. so he did not run again for land commissioner. He lost that bid to Ken Paxton. So we do not have a Republican incumbent that is running. So the Republican nominee for land commissioner is a woman named Dawn Buckingham. And she is going up against the Democratic nominee, Jay Kleberg who people might um, know is part of the King Ranch family. 
Um, the land commissioner leads the Texas General Land Office, which manages 13 million acres of state land, oversees disaster relief and some public school funding, and has administrative control of the Alamo, which interestingly, when I went to uh, the Texas Tribune panel where they were talking to a lot of the Democratic nominees who are running in these statewide races. Jay Kleberg talked about the Alamo, which was really interesting <laughs> that that came up. Um, yeah, who knew? <laughs> who knew? Um, I know that uh, what he talks about in terms of his candidacy is that he has managed land um, basically for all of his adult life. That's, you know, what his family is in the business of. And so he is uh, very familiar with the pressures and the needs of what a land commissioner does um, or his opponent does not have that same experience. So he's very, what he talks about is being qualified for the actual office that you're trying to hold. And that position, my friends, makes $140,938. I said that really strangely. $140,938 a year. So pays well. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's an appropriate salary for a statewide office, I would say. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to go uh, circle back with you guys about the ones I'm doing. Um, Oh, well, I I can tell you I did look up Paxton. Tell us, what does the attorney general make? The same thing as the governor. Um, $153,000, oh. $750. So I can't, why am I saying this so strangely? $153,750, <laughs> the same as the governor. Attorney general, governor, make the same. Yes. Boom. Agriculture, agricultural commissioner. Let me look that up, my friends. As a reminder, lieutenant governor makes 7200 which is just bonkers. So, so little. That's what state representative make. Yeah. It's so clearly, yeah, it's such a power position. And again, like who can do that? Um, okay. I think what will actually make me able to find this more. Oh my goodness gracious, Claire. Sorry. I just came across something. Sorry, listeners. But did you know what the uh, Mike Marath makes the education oh, no, commissioner two hundred twenty thousand three hundred seventy five dollars. <laughs> this is so odd. <laughs> oh my gosh! And the Department of Family and Protective Services that commissioner uh huh two hundred thirty five thousand five hundred dollars. I wonder. It's yeah. It's weird that these people in tar- charge of these commissions are making more than the elected than the person who is putting them in these positions it's wild i just round oh my gosh i'm sorry we're going to talk to someone now about i'm like how this happened the texas higher education coordinating board commissioner two hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. Mm. what in the world it's never new really fascinating um okay i will be able to find oh department of agriculture Except that I'm not immediately finding the commissioner. I'm finding, you know, kind of the director. Who is the person who holds that position right now? It's Sid Miller. Sid Miller. It's mm-hmm. actually this tool 
Sometimes it's easier to look up by a person's name rather than um, the position itself. Okay, Sid Miller makes $140,938. Okay. Okay. As the commissioner. So he makes more than the gov... Oh, he's right below the governor. Just right below. Okay. All right. How about Comptroller? That's who we're going to move on to next. Let's see here. It's Glenn Hagar right now. Glenn Hagar makes 153750 so same okay. as the governor. The governor. Wow. Okay. Who is deciding this? <laughs> yeah. And the, the differentials, there must be, well, I say it's obvious, there must be some sort of rationale behind it. Who, who really knows? Right, because it's interesting to see, you know, the comptroller here, as we're, you know, saying an elected office, then you contrast that with right around them, for instance, Glenn Shipley, who their title is Physician 3, so Mm -hmm. they're in the Health and Human Services Commission, makes Mm. $227,000. So there's got to be a rationale, but I'm, I... I don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated by pay and what people get paid. So this is a great episode idea for down the road to circle back to the pay of Texas employees and elected officials. Let us know what you think of that, folks. All right. Should we move on to Comptroller, our last statewide? Well, and then we have Railroad Commissioner. Oh, so two more. Last for me. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll be fast with that one. Okay. The comptroller is the state's offic- uh, official responsible for collecting taxes, overseeing the, the state treasury, and forecasting the amount of money that's available to legislators when they craft the state's two-year budget. So right now, it's Republican Glenn Hagar. And as I was mentioning, what he does is he estimates how much Texas will take in at the beginning of the legislative session so that legislators have an idea how much money will be in the budget for them to work with and a lot to state services. Um, And it says that the Texas Constitution requires that the comptroller gives lawmakers a revenue estimate Yeah, at the start of the session. Uh, So he has to do that. That's required by the Texas Constitution. Glenn Hagar has been there for eight years. He's also seeking his third term. A lot of these people like start at the same time. And we have two other people who are running against him. Janet Duggan, she's the Democrat, and Elizondo Echevarria uh, Garza. I hope I'm saying that right. He's a libertarian. Um, so I've seen Janet... Dudding. Oh, I think I said her name wrong. I'm sorry. Dudding. Janet Dudding. I think I said Dugging. Okay. That's my bad. <laughs> um, she, I've seen her in person and she shared that she is a certified public accountant and she makes a point of that. So I'm assuming that Glenn Hagar is not one. Yeah. Um, I kept getting the impression that this is unusual, which is surprising, but that right. the fact that she's a CPA seems to be kind of blowing people's mind because it isn't typically who holds the office, even though it seems like it ought to be. Yes. Well, I mean, again, like as we're having these conversations, we have these assumptions that these people have some knowledge, some expertise in their areas. And we're learning that that's not necessarily a prerequisite, which is just crazy to me. Like, 
yeah, like I would assume as a comptroller, your responsibility is primarily to collect taxes that you would have a background in accounting, something like that. But I don't, I guess that's not the case. And, you know, same with like education commissioner, you don't have to be an educator. So it's good to be aware of, of what these people's backgrounds is when you're voting for them and to know if, if, um, if that's what their experience is in. Um, Glenn Hagar. I watched an interview with him. I didn't really learn too much. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but about he's the running. office, well, or, this or, about or his stances about him. Okay. Yeah, he says a, a true conservative defending the values of faith, family, and freedom. Cool. I <laughs> mean, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, I did learn, and I think we've mentioned this in the podcast that when the legislate when. Legislators are going to go back to the Capitol in 2023. There's going to be a $27 billion surplus. And Glenn Hagar is a person who has calculated that and will be sharing that with legislators. So there's going to be a lot of money on the table to perhaps invest in big projects. We'll see what will happen, but just to be aware of that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well... Um, shall we move on? How do you feel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Finally. I wish there was more, but it's like, oh, it seems yeah. pretty basic. <laughs> well, and you know, we don't need to go on and on about these things. I think <laughs> it's the idea is to give people a taste. Okay. So railroad commissioner, um, well, the Republican incumbent who is also the chair of the commission is Wayne Christian. He previously served seven terms in the Texas house And he is going up against the Democratic candidate, Luke Warford. Uh, The Railroad Commission is the oldest regulatory agency, and it was established in 1891. Their main responsibility, it's the state agency with primary regulatory jurisdiction over the oil and gas industry, pipeline transporters, natural gas, and hazardous liquid pipeline industry, uh, natural gas utilities, the LP gas industry, and coal and uranium surface mining operations. Um, so all those things. So weird. They're called the railroad commissioner. I hate that. I know. It seems like it's time to update that. I would, I'm going to guess, right, that at some point back in 1891, that made sense as the name of the agency, but it, that is not the case anymore, but we haven't updated the name. Yeah. Um, maybe that's the next thing I ought to research, but, um, here's something I didn't know, which is that railroad commissioners are elected to six year staggered terms. So there's actually three railroad commissioners. Oh yeah. I thought it was one person. (laughs) So this was like a, Oh, I had light bulbs go off. So there's actually three railroad commissioners. And so they stagger off or stay on. But it's um, six-year terms, and so every two years, there is somebody who is up for, you know, either election or re-election, right? Um, And so the current Republican incumbent is also the chair of the commission, like I said, Wayne Christian. Uh, Um, And let's see, what else? Oh, if... What do they make? Oh, okay. They make (laughs) $140,937. Okay. Um, and if someone, if there is a vacancy, the governor appoints the replacement. 
Ah. No matter how much or how long the length of the term is that is left. Wow. Another big responsibility. Right. And next time there's a general election, then of course they will, it will be an elected position again. But yes, more, more power that the governor has. Yeah. To a point. And in Texas, obviously, the oil and gas industry is humongo. So this is, yeah, yeah, a powerful position. Fascinating. Yes, this was good for me to just dig a little bit deeper and understand what these people do. Um, I, my frustration, just a side little tangent, is when I was trying to research them and just Google something as super as what is a land, what is the Agricultural Commissioner Texas? There wasn't really a lot out there. And I did look a lot on YouTube because I like to watch stuff. And um, when I would find reporters interviewing these folks, I feel like they didn't do a good job asking questions like, okay, tell me how your role affects everyday Texans lives. It was like, like what Ken Paxson says on his website, I care about Mm defunding Planned Parenthood. It's like, yeah, but what about your job? Like, what do you do that, like, how do I know you're doing a good job at your job? And what's your everyday like? (laughs) That's what I cared about knowing. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to find out. So if anyone knows where we can find this, like the basics, let me know, because we are hopefully helped you understand a little bit of that. Um, But just collecting this information was not that easy. And it's like, that's what I want to know. I don't want to hear your I don't know, like... Well, it speaks to the partisan nature that politics has become, right? That it mm-hmm. isn't... There is, seems to be less concern about what the duties of the office are and upholding those and, you know, demonstrating your track record for how you have upheld those duties. But it is more about a very partisan agenda and how you uphold that partisan agenda. Right. Yeah. I think that was a big frustration I had because some of these jobs sound so innocuous. Like I collect taxes. Well, what's partisan about that? Right. That seems very like numbers are numbers. They're not like blue or red. And yet somehow these jobs become that. And it's really strange. Well, as you were describing the agricultural commissioner, I couldn't help but go, wait, red flag, red flag, because that sounds like you're saying like a very nonpartisan, innocuous type of position. But to bring up having armed guards... Um, in cafeterias, suddenly now we're like in a completely different realm of, you know, kind of sending off fear alarm bells for people. And it's like, wait, wait why are you wading into that territory? Mm-hmm. Like it, uh, yeah. 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 It's interesting. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do our best to keep bringing you helpful information to explain what these things really are, because that's what we want to do. We don't want to like contribute to that noisiness uh, that feels very like not substantial so one unnecessary right it's yeah that is out there but let's just find out what these people do and I had like really and truly this was such a great little research project for me I had no idea what people made that was just fascinating for me to learn also like the railroad commissioner part and knowing that there were three people on the commission had no idea I thought it was a one-person job. Um, so, so many things. I had major light bulbs go off, and it was interesting. Really, really yeah. interesting. Absolutely. Well, check out our show notes if you want to see links for these candidates' uh, websites and their job descriptions. Uh, Nicole mentioned a couple of times, but the Texas Tribune, very great resource for this kind of information. They actually 
are very substantial. So we're big fans of the Texas Tribune for your information. And uh, I think that's about it. Any final thoughts, Nicole? No, just make your voting plan. Let's all do that. Let's be ready. Vote early. Vote on November 8th. Whatever works for you. But yes, let's make our and voices I'll say this heard. Too vote. But if you find yourself having to decide on an office you don't understand, it's okay to skip that. You don't have to vote for every single office. I think people forget that's an option. So if you feel like you're not informed enough, it's okay to sit that race out. But Try to participate in the ones you do understand and understand a little bit more so that you can make an informed choice. Great advice. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.